Welcome to the Backyard Buddhist Podcast, where we continually seek everyday enlightenment for the benefit of ourselves and all other beings. I'm Ron Powell McLean, and I'm here with my good buddy, Danny Hobart. Today, we're talking about what is behind the big golden door of enlightenment. Hey, Dan, is that you knocking at that big golden door? Imaho! <laughs> <laughs> That's the Tibetan version of the Avon lady at the door. <laughs> That's what they tell me in the books. Avon, Avon calling. <laughs> I was reading uh, again. Is it called Natural Perfection? One of Surya Das's books. It what comes with. It's one that comes with the meditation CD. Natural Radiance. Yeah. Natural Radiance. That's yeah. it. Sorry. Yeah. And. He talks about that part in there where one of his teachers years ago had been a student and just just was long just wanting this lesson, wanting this lesson, wanting this lesson from their teacher and wouldn't give it. And, you know, they're like 13 years into it. Still can't just won't like spell it out. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so the students frustrated. and That's a dedication. That's a long time. And just one morning, the teacher just out of nowhere shouted out Imaho and she learned everything that was it that was the entire lesson Imaho joyous wondrous just, enlightened yes everything she had been doing suddenly made sense in that one word so that. that's been my I know that's been my that's been my go-to this this week anyway, last week and a half or so. Emo, wake up! Emo, wake up! Aware, joy, joyous, wondrous, yeah. joyous, natural, yeah. primordial awakening. Yeah, emo, amazingness. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's also basically, uh, what Steve Carell yells in Anchorman. You know, is brick. He's Loud noises! Everybody's fighting. <laughs> Big argument. Loud, no loud noises! <laughs> loud noises. That's, that's hysterical. Uh, yeah. Oh. Well, you know, I, I am continually reminded of my path. I've been writing a lot lately, so I, um, you know, just keep having these um, very vivid recollections of my my path at you know up to this point and the collection which you know i have a bit of my my grandmother in me so my grandmother you know she was a an awesome super figure in my upbringing very um supportive of me and my creativity and you know, a lot of things that were just sort of um, anomalies in my family. So she was uh, often the one sort of secretly leading, you know, here, do you, you want to paint? You want to, you want to do pottery? Do you want to do jewelry making? Whatever it might be. And she would just, you know, she would get you all this stuff. So as I got a little older, and could just 
you know, for the fun of it, just go with her shopping. She would find something that she wanted or that she liked and she bought everything. (laughs) I remember there was, you know, she ran across these, these Christmas dishes. They were red and had, um, you know, like little balls on them and little, little birds and um, quite contemporary, actually. They were, were pretty cool. But, you know, she not only bought, you know, enough plates for, you know, 20 people to eat on, but then the salad plate and the soup bowl and the mugs and the serving pieces. And she bought, she bought, she bought everything that she wanted out of it. And I have a little bit of that in me. So when I get interested in something, I want to know what all the options are and which ones can I afford and which ones are um, the rarest and what must I have. And part of that in my journey through meditation and into Buddhism, spirituality along the way has been books books and books and books and books and books. And I am very guilty of looking to those books, was very guilty of looking to those books for what I now refer to as the jeweled key to the big gold door. And I was looking in those books for that, that secret chapter that was the special code or the special incarnation that I needed to embrace to get through the big golden door. And I looked 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 and nothing was very specific. You know, I like the, I like the express model as much as everybody else does. So, you know, you've seen my book collection (laughs) and it's, it's vast. It's vast and it's it's ever growing. I I still love books. I still um, devour them. I want to hear all the perspectives and I want to hear all the enlightened as well as non-enlightened writing. <laughs> because there's a bit of that too. And there's a teaching in lesson. the stuff that's wrong too. So yeah. So if there's a teaching, is it really wrong? Right. I, that's part of what you, I think you uncover as you, mm-hmm. as you endeavor in is you have to realize that your own, your own compass is really, is really the keyhole. Like right. you know, what is really right, wise, complete and true you know what it is. I, the very first question I ever asked you before we knew each other was what, what book should I read? <laughs> because that's of course the first question everybody asks a Buddhist teacher. Well, what should I be reading? Right. And you said nothing. And I thought now I, I 20 years ago, I would have happily said, yeah, but if I was going to do such a thing, just, go ahead and give me a couple. Uh, when you, when you told me this time around, I, I, I was happy to accept your long fought conclusion, which is 
Yeah, you probably should just practice for it. <laughs> yeah, maybe take a break on the books. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and there's a ton of wisdom in that. I, I haven't, I didn't, you know, I'm not that far into my, in, in years wise, into the practice of Buddhism, the serious practice of it anyway. And so I have hardly read anything uh, other than the, you know, the Nundro that we, that you gave us the sort of advanced Nundro. And of course, you know, some of the, the short like teachings that are part of services that we've done or meditations and things. But, but I do like, I have in the last uh, year ish uh, started reading some more, but I like Surya's books because they're short. Right. They're, they're extremely challenging and uh i mean he doesn't i'll tell you he doesn't mess around like he you want to talk about taking the short path um if you're in the groove and getting it he's he's well look where you're standing and like it's right in front of you like touch it fall over and you'll hit your head on it like i I often say he's just he's just direct He's just so yeah, direct. He is. He is. He's also brilliant. So it's a little hard to catch up to. You you need a base in my for me, I have needed a base of practice to be able to get his teachings, his style. And I could see, you know, it makes me think on Zo Chen. I could absolutely see why the Buddhist hierarchy, so to speak, w- sort of withheld this from everybody. Right. Cause it's not because something to, you know, start off on a yak herder. It is. It isn't. It's hard. Uh, it's not, it is absolutely simple, but it's not simple until you do the hard work to see that. Right. So I think what, why it matched so well with my path particularly is because, you know, as, as you know, I am a long time meditator. I've been meditating a lot longer than I have been studying or contemplating Buddhism um, or reading anything about it, quite frankly. You know, I grew up Catholic and, you know, had a parting from that um, in my late teen years. Um, and tripped around other spiritual paths trying to find my way and find something that made sense to me. But meditation to me was medicinal. It was to counteract, you know, migraine headaches, which I've, you know, within the past few years realized that those migraine headaches have a lot to do with anxiety, which I didn't realize I had. Um, but the introspection from the practice has given me the ability to see it and not judge it like it was some sort of thing that needed fixed. But, you know, as I said earlier, this is, you know, it was medicinal for me. So I was using as needed, which was frequent for me. Um, Migraines could happen two or three times in a week. And they were devastating to the point where I needed to be in a dark room and without sound and 
probably something cold across my forehead and the light blocked out from my eyes and to lay, you know, motionless with a fan on me just to get through. So I used meditation to find a bit of calm during what was happening there. And later on, as I tripped <laughs> tripped and fell face first into the Buddhist path, I encountered very early on Lama Suryadas and Dzogchen. I didn't know what the heck it was. I had heard of things like Vipassana. I had heard of Zen. I didn't know what they meant. Um, and I wasn't too sure that I really wanted to know. But, um, you know, a teacher and leader that I was involved um, with in this Kansas City Sangha introduced me to Lama Suryadas and um, he made sense. He made sense yeah. when I when I heard his, um, you know, Long Island <laughs> accent and his, yeah. you know, very direct way of speaking. It made me kind of take notice. And what I've realized, you know, in retrospective, was that because I already had a practice of meditation that I already had a practice that when I incorporated the thoughts and ideas of Dzogchen, it's, it resonated with me because I had already experienced so much through practice. So when I give the advice and I give it often, <laughs> When people say, oh my goodness, what should, you know, I'm new to this, what should I read? And I say, nothing. And I don't mean don't ever read, because I think there is a lot of good dharma. There's a lot of good teachings for us to consider. But the reality is that if you don't have a practice to apply it to and to relate it to, then you're just reading text, right? You're not connecting it to, oh, and that's the thing that I experienced there. Right. So for me yeah. specifically, it was the separation, being able to consciously and intellectually separate pain and suffering as two different things. Pain was something that was occurring in my physical form and suffering was a reaction to that pain. And I could then put a little space between those and I wasn't panicked and I wasn't anxiety stricken over the pain. That's powerful. That's, you know, and, and the idea, the idea of reading to understand something but then actually doing it, I mean, everybody's had that experience. It's two different things. You can get directions. You know, I've worked on my car, whatever car I had my whole life. It's a, I don't know if it's a hobby or masochistic or what, but, <laughs> you know, but you could get a book. When I was a kid and had my first car, I could get a book at the library or buy the manual and then change my carburetor. Right. 
but reading the book and looking at the pictures is way different when you're busting your knuckles, you know, because the bolt's on there and you can't get it off. Right. So that that encapsulates what the difference is between the practice and the reading. I'm happy that I took a break. You know, it really relieved a burden for me. I've been through so much schooling and my profession involves so much continued learning, you know, new cases, which means new law. That's, that's like an every day of your life. There's new cases, whether it's at every different level, something somewhere may affect what you're doing. And having the, having the freedom, having been released from the requirement to read and memorize everything and just sit back and start practicing. Actually, that was actually a really big gift uh, for me. Um, You know, I I had heard the stuff that I had read had all been pretty factual about Buddhism. I'd never stumbled across anything like uh, Surya stuff or any of the, the, teachers that sort of do teachings in their books you know it's it's this is the history of buddhism and hinduism christianity you know whatever the these great volumes are but you know so i'd heard of uh mahayana and vaj uh vajrayana theravadan and zen of course is the big one uh that literally everybody equates as buddhism um, well, Westerners do. Westerners, 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 pardon me. No no offense to anybody else, but growing up in America, that's, if somebody says that's Zen, that means that's Buddha, Buddhist. Right. That's, it, they're interchange. They're like Xerox and making a copy. It's interchangeable. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, then I try to memorize like, well, how are they different? What's the little, what's the little thing and what's all this stuff? And I gotta, ha- I have to know the Four Noble Truths. Well, they're pretty straightforward. That's not that hard. <laughs> But then there's the Eightfold Path. Yeah, yeah, got to get that down. What are they all, you know, right, wise view or right view? Which one? Is, okay, we're going to have all this. So being sort of freed from that just to practice, I mean, to me, that was the absolutely crucial place to start. Absolutely crucial. Yeah. And I wouldn't be on the path, and I wouldn't be reading now probably if I hadn't gotten – to a point that, that the, you know, the teachings now, us talking, doing meditate, practicing, do, uh, you know, getting together with our sangha, it's weird sometimes how you just, something you've heard a thousand times, you know the lesson, you know the ideal, you know what it would mean and how it fits into the thing, but somebody just says it a different way. And it just hits you like a ton of bricks. Right. And the lesson is then learned. And right. it becomes real because it reinforces your practice. Then you can see how it fits together. So it's, um, it starts yeah, to was, resonate with something that's, you know, that's close to you than the, and that's personal. So, you know, for me, I yeah. think, you know, I, I certainly went through, I remember reading, Lama Surya Das's book, um, right out of the gate, right? I mean, 
actually right as I met him. So, you know, the story is that I was, I went to work um, for him uh, in trying to do some marketing and PR work um, to sort of bring together his two entities, his nonprofit, the Sochan Foundation, and him as an author. So trying to connect those two audiences and do it, you know, digitally and um, trying to get, you know, certainly more people at his retreats and um, get the awareness of him up. So, you know, I was brought in as, you know, a marketing consultant to work with him. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't even met him until we, <laughs> I was assigned to go to uh, Buddhist geeks out in Boulder with him um, months after I even became aware of him. So I hadn't read any of his books and I was a little bit panicked about that as a marketer. I thought, you know, I should really have an idea of, you know, who he is and what he is. So I got Awakening the Buddha Within. So that was the first go round I had and I read it speed read it in the <laughs> hotel, you know, 10 hours before I met him or something. And, you know, I'll just tell you now, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't uh -oh. understand the Four Noble Truths. I didn't understand the Eightfold Path. I didn't understand the Six Perfections or the Ten Perfections or, you know, whichever perfections you're talking about. I didn't understand the Triple Gem. Um, I knew there were a lot of numbers involved and that I didn't have any clue what it, what it was really talking about. Yeah. Um, what resonated with me in the book was a little bit more of his story and how he had kind of come into this understanding. And then I met him and I was like, this character is different. This, um, unexpected, unexpected and sort of delightful uh, because his, he's just so direct and so candid and um, leads you to where he wants to lead you. So literally you can ask him a question or try to dialogue with him in one way and he will just start talking about what he wants to talk about. <laughs> just, <laughs> Which was good for me, actually, to let him guide me to where he wanted to guide me. Yeah. Um, and it was intriguing enough for me to sign on to be his retreat manager and then later on to be the general manager of his foundation and, um, you know, really just drink in everything that he was saying. And, you know, I'm the first to admit that what he says, especially in retreats are repetitive. Like I hear the same thing. I could tell you what he was going to say next, but it wasn't maybe until the fifth or sixth time that he said it, that it resonated. Oh, 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 that's what he's saying because it started to relate to my practice. So one of the things, you know, in his seven, uh, steps to you know a, a spiritual practice is a daily-ish practice and i did adopt that you know and I, i'd already been a meditator but you know maybe not a, a daily basis so i adopted it as a daily practice and 
I tell you, I don't go, I don't go a day. I don't go a day without practice. Now, um, I certainly have. And in the rockier parts of my life, when I needed it most, um, it wasn't there. I wasn't using it. And now I know that when things get muddy, that I definitely, that's the first place that I need to go and settle my anxiety, settle my emotional reactions so that I can act with wisdom and compassion an understanding of what I'm going through and what the situation actually looks like. So, you know, I, I know that I, you know, I read the quintessential and I call them the foundational um, Buddhist ideas, the foundations of Buddhism, the four noble truths, the eightfold path, but none of those things made sense to me until I had practiced enough to realize what the hell they were talking about. Yeah. So in our normal way of learning, we read the book, we watch the YouTube video, and then we think we're going to go implement it. Oh, this is how I get enlightened. So I, you know, okay, I read the Four Noble Truths. I got that. I got the Eightfold Path. I got that. I got the Six Perfections. I did the Five Precepts. And I understand Buddha Dharma and Sangha. And okay, I should be enlightened now. No. Yeah, no. no. It's not really no. until, you know, I've revisited those same ideas from the perspective of having practiced stillness because when we practice stillness there's a lot that comes up and we realize we've been distracting ourselves with a lot of from a lot of discomfort and taking you know trips like um time travelers thinking about the past thinking about the future thinking about something completely mundane just to not think about the thing that made us uncomfortable yeah. So when we've seen our own discomfort and then understood that the Four Noble Truths is talking about the, the discomfort and that there's a cause for that discomfort, that there's a remedy or a medicine for that discomfort or illness, and that is the path of awakening, the path of seeing things as they are. I so much of that resonates with me and I'll, I'll tell you my experience with this has been, and this is, I guess I'm going into my sort of fourth more serious year about Buddhism. I can, to, to, to give you a, a little background or at least the listeners, uh, I was, I was depressed uh, as depressed as I've been in my life, I'd say, when I first went to, I went to the very first service. Um, uh, I didn't know you. I didn't know anybody. And there are a number of Buddhist services in uh, KC. And of course, I'd seen Rime because they're right by the highway, you know, sure. big sign. And I actually had some friends from time to time that had been there. But for whatever reason, I picked the one that the one that you were at, which is, I guess if there's a 
fortuitous part of it there that was it probably but i i literally i was and i won't be too graphic i was taking a bath like and that's sort of my happy place always has been uh you know so i'm not just laying in bed but it's just a different place to lay around and not do anything right. and uh I I remember I remember the moment as if it happened right now, and I just said, "If you don't go today, you're never going to go." And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to die from it. They're Buddhists, right? So, little did you know, <laughs> if they're not friendly, then you know it's <laughs> it's not that's not what I was thinking about Buddhists anyway. So. Anyway, I went and that was it. But I intentionally went and I intentionally chose a Buddhist service. Uh, I didn't intentionally, I didn't so much intentionally choose yours over anybody else's. It just, for whatever reason, that's the one that I went to or had time to get to, I guess, that day. So, so that part of it was intentional. I was interested in Buddhism and had been for years and years and years and years. So, so that, that part was good, but I did not have any concept of what this meant. And I can tell you as, as I've not read and as I've practiced and daily ish is very much my practice. Although I, I, that's probably an average, uh, a, probably a few months ago, I skipped uh, like a week, six or seven days. Uh, that, but I'll usually do every day, but if I miss, that's like a, it's like a waterfall. And so then I'll miss like two or three or four or five days and then I'll pick it back up. So it's better for me if I really buckle down and do it every day. Cause then I just Pandora's box of skipping out on it. But, um, as I've practiced and practiced and studied and learned and Every everybody in our sangha teaches me things, of course, including you. But my 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 understanding of it has gotten it has expanded, man. Like it is big. It is bigger than I had ever ever. I mean, I didn't even have any concept of what that would be. No concept, and that bigness at least the way it is to me that the all inclusiveness of ever the oneness of everything, the oneness and oneness, the climbing up and swooping down, no mud, no Lotus. All, the, this lesson of we we're not, we're not like we are all interconnected, but we actually all are right. We are all, we are all of us. We, we are together. Like the, bigness of that the vastness of of infinite you know th this is a buddhism is a thing that that incorporates the infinite yeah it's not there's no in defining itself it's undefined and the more i practice the bigger that gets for me and that i, I that i wouldn't have understood had i not coupled some of everybody's teachings and even I know it's sort of silly, but it is how we live our lives. I found some great stuff on YouTube, man. Like mm -hmm. there are some really insightful teachings and little, little talks and from every different age of person, every different level of person uh, that are just fascinating. 
and it's you know it's man it's expansive oh it's comforting though too that's the other weird part like the the more you the more i've understood this 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 togetherness this sameness uh like you would think the logic in me would say that 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 it, it like it's too big it's overwhelming like this doesn't make any sense and I can look at my hand and it's not attached to yours and we're looking at each other and chat and you're there and I'm here and uh so it doesn't make any sense it seems like those would be at odds but that's not the case the bigger it gets the closer it gets that's and the more okay it gets Oh, the okayness is a whole nother level. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the things I'm okay with now are not even, that's not even in the realm of, uh, that's not even in the realm yeah. of, you know, of of comprehension. The that's things like, that I'm you know, the calm abiding that I refer to is really, you know, the perpetual state of okayness. Yeah. Yeah, it's really something to be able to have something happen in front of you. A person does a thing, a car hits a car, uh, whatever it is, and just have the idea that, that it's going to be okay, like this is okay. I mean, in the moment, of course, that doesn't mean you don't save someone's life or, you know, or help a person that fell down in the street or, you know, you still have those things you should do as a person. Well, and that you naturally now do do because you are awake and you know for you know for you the listener if you haven't figured out what we're talking about you know the the jeweled key slow this down write it down replay it if you need to but the jeweled key to that big golden door of enlightenment is your awakened awareness yours not anyone else's You're not going to find it on YouTube. You're not going to look it up in a book. You are going to realize it for yourself. And when you realize your own state of awareness, and you can start with your attention. So just your attention to the here and now. And you're aware that you are conditioned to distract yourself. Each time you find something that's uncomfortable and that could be just boring could be mundane i don't want to deal with the mundane i don't like the mundane so i distract myself with a more exciting thought or i click on the button that starts netflix or whatever whatever it may be that you have been doing that and that's part of your awakening part of your your understanding so Now you can take that key, put it in the door to enlightenment and turn it. And as you go through it, you need to understand that there is a lot more to come now that you've opened the door. And so you have this this wisdom power of your 
that comes from your awakened awareness. And you can start to see the illusions that your intellect and your conceptual mind have created. So I want to just give you some examples. So like take, for instance, an object that's just, you know, it's common to all of us. So think like your television set. So I want you to picture it in your mind. You can describe it. It has a size and an appearance and a form and you can, you know, you can put your hands on it. You can feel the weight of it. You can move it about. It feels like a substantial thing. We understand that it has a function that when you attach it to a, an electrical outlet and you turn it on, we have a belief that this object now provides us entertainment and education and distraction. We also assign a value to that form, the form of uh, a monetary value or monetary measures. We can also assign a designation of value like um, in the, the form of like or dislike. So I like the, I like the television, I don't like the television. I like it, therefore it has a value in my experience, or I dislike it because it creates a sense of unrest or uneasiness. Either way, we're caught up in the perceived value of this item and have an attachment or an aversion to the item, or maybe even both. So seeing things as they are, this is a, you know, it's a man-made item that's not separate from anything in the universe. It's part of the universe. You can't take that item out of the universe. So is our own form, our own body, the bodies of those people that we, you know, like and dislike around us, our pets, our homes, our cars, our yards, the continents, this world, the moon, further out, other planets, other stars, all the space in between, all incorporated into this universe, this ultimate reality that everything is contained. Nothing can be separate. It's a big, it's a big, it's a big thought, but when you start to understand it, things like, like, you know, I, I started this conversation talking about, you know, the, the exploration of, you know, pain and suffering that I had with these migraines. So I woke up with a migraine yesterday and I was sitting on the couch and I thought I've got a full day ahead of me. I had appointments all day long. I had some, you know, some preparation. I've got, you know, surgery next week. So I'm trying to get things done. And I thought, I don't have time to be stuck under this massive headache. And it was painful and feels like, you know, when you get brain freeze from ice cream, it's like that. It's that pain. It's that contraction in my brain that makes me not be able to open both eyes and I thought I'm screwed. 
am absolutely screwed. This is so overwhelming. I don't want to move. And if I move, I kind of want to throw up. It was that bad. And I thought, practice. Practice this pain. Practice this pain. And so I I turned and faced into the pain. And I looked at how overwhelming it was. And I thought about its relative existence in my form, in my body. So when we think about relative experience, it refers to our relative experience through our own physical form. So I'm having pain. You're not feeling my pain. I'm feeling my pain, right? So that's our relative reality. But then I decided to take a little bit of a journey and think about that pain in the ultimate sense, in this universal sense, and how underwhelming that pain was in the size of the universe. Where was that pain? Where is it? What is it? Where does it reside? in my little tiny physical form inside this vast, enormous universe. And suddenly the pain was not so overwhelming. It was a small thing in a very, very big ocean. And with focusing on that, for just a short time, the headache subsided and I was on my way. And not to say that miracles are going to happen from that shift in understanding, but a real understanding that knowing that my awareness must include ultimate reality and not just my relative experience was which is where we all were before we discovered this path and before we understood that our awareness was the big jeweled key to the big golden door first rule of buddha club wake up <laughs> wake up before before you wake up chop wood carry water <laughs> <laughs> wake up now chop wood carry water yeah yeah that's right and that's the that's the key right that's the key the key is the key is the awake and aware the key is just like in your practice when you're meditating and you know the fly buzzes around your head or your foot falls asleep or right. you know say to yourself in your head or out loud however you want to do it say Oh, my foot fell asleep. That's my the foot sensation my of foot. my foot falling asleep in my yeah. relative form. Yeah. Yeah. My foot, my foot is tingling. <laughs> Guess what? You just became aware of your suffering. Yeah. Like it's that simple and precise. And direct. It's so, so very direct. And when we lean into yeah. that and just watch it, it takes on a whole different form and it's not so overwhelming. That's really, really a shifting point. Yeah. And, then, and then is what comes beyond that door and that understanding that 
big, vast understanding that we are just a small, small particle in this big, vast universe. And we are no more insignificant than any other particle. We are all significant particles. We're not more or less, we're the same. So when we see that, that accident in front of us and we then just jump to action to help compassionately and wisely, then that's the outcome of our awakened awareness. We don't walk away or turn our heads from that which is uncomfortable. Instead, we see it for what it is. It's where I'm needed. It's where my help is needed and my attention my awakened attention and intention. And that's yeah, where we, things shift. Yep. We've and of course that's a whole nother whole nother part of it is karma, which we've we've talked about and I'm sure we'll continue to, but all all of this, all of all of the awakened awareness leads you to understand karma. It the more you act with awakened awareness, yeah. The 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 more the effect on, not the more the effect, the, you, you get to see a good effect on the result of your action. Right. Because karma is just cause and effect. Cause and so there's effect. good karma, there's bad karma, there's neutral karma, there's right. just karma. Because yeah. each action that I make is significant. And that each, part matters. Each that, yeah. each, that, you know, each, action or inaction from each of us is significant. It has an outcome. Yep. And that's, that's important for us as humans, because we're out walking around interacting with other people out walking around. Right. That's our relative reality. That's our everyday humdrum going about the world type of thing. But it's equally important to the big ultimate understanding because we still are here every day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's the, it's the distinction of that unconscious reaction or our conscious intentional action yep. that makes the difference. So when we are awake and aware of this moment, of what's going on, and I'm talking about this moment that we can look around, see, smell, taste, touch, Everything that's happening right here is also happening all throughout this entire universe. This same living, breathing moment. It's not the past. It's not the future. It's this vast, wide, endless moment. Mm. That when we understand our activity in that, our karmic action within that, our understanding of that changes everything changes everything changes everything which is um possibly why you're listening to this podcast it's certainly why i'm doing it your karma has ripened that's what my teacher yeshe often reminded me of is that when i'm here for the opportunity for this message to to be received is because my karma has ripened yeah. So don't squander what you hear. Don't squander what you understand. Put it in action. It's it's the turning of that jeweled key in the golden door. Yeah. 
everybody has their own key. You have your own key. And it's been in your pocket all along. Yep. Yeah. Simple awakened awareness is the jeweled key to the big golden door of enlightenment. But what is beyond is far more important. This is the realm of enlightened activity where compassionate action is the outcome of this state, your state of awakened being. Daniel, thank you so much for walking this path with me and to our listeners for walking this path with us. We see you, we hear you, and we love you. Pablo, thank you, as always, for this. And folks, also remember, meditate as fast as you can. Goodbye now.